Thanks for joining us for a Sunday worship gathering. Today we're in a message series titled Forgotten God, and we're learning about the Holy Spirit. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has for us today, and please give a warm welcome to our worship and creative arts pastor, Brandon Edwards. Hi, Journey. My name is Brandon, I'm one of the pastors here, and this is week six in our Forgotten God series on the Holy Spirit, which is inspired by the pastor's book, uh, Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. It was really fun to prepare for this week as we talk about the Holy Spirit. I was going through a lot of my seminary stuff. I just finished seminary last spring. My wife's really happy that that's over. And uh, it was really fun to prepare for that. And I was inspired by some of the stuff that Francis Chan wrote and Andy Stanley as I was preparing for it. And it brought me to this question of how do we get more of the Spirit in our lives. And I wanted to start with the question of what do you really want? That's the title of the sermon today. And the big idea I'm going to be talking about is by asking God for what you really want, we'll answer the question, how do we practically have this spirit-filled life that Bob's been talking about this series? By asking God for what we really want, we'll answer the question of how do we practically have this spirit-filled life. So first, let me ask you, what do you want? What do you want in life? What do you really want? We know from last week that we're free in Christ, and so we have this freedom to choose what we want. So what do you want? Now, at some point, we've all gotten what we really wanted and realized that it wasn't what we really wanted at all. Now, sometimes we got something like maybe we wanted to date someone and we really wanted to date them. And then after we dated them for a while, we were like, I don't really want to date you. (laughs) And maybe that's the whole point of dating is to find out what you want and what you don't want. But we've all had the job or gotten that thing that we bought it. And then, I don't know, five, six months later, a year later, five years later, 48 car payments later, we realize, I don't really want this. And so it brings up the question of what do you really want? Now, when I was in junior high, Andre Agassi was one of the top two players in the world. You know who Andre Agassi is? You're gonna be my friend now. And so Andre Agassi was, uh, he wasn't just tennis. He was like rock and roll tennis at the time. And he had bleach blonde hair down to here. He, he, did uh, commercials with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And he was dating Brooke Shields. And I was like, I'd love to date Brooke Shields. And so I I pretty much wanted to be Andre Agassi. And so I had this picture. This is Andre Agassi from 1991. I was like, man, he is cool. Look at those pants. I I wanted those shorts. I got those shorts. And, And look at that stomach hair. I mean, this guy... He was awesome. And I just, I just thought, junior high, I want to be this guy. And um, that's good. That's enough of Andre. And so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's always something that we, that we want, right? A little later in high school, I was watching infomercials, probably too many infomercials. And I thought, man, I would love to have a juicer just like that one. And so I, you know, did my chores and saved up money. And, and we got this juicer in our family and I went with my parents and we got like tons of strawberries and bananas and I definitely peeled the bananas. I'm not sure if I took the stems out of the strawberries, but then I juiced it. I mean, we're talking juicing it for like 20 minutes juicing and I've got like 48 ounces of 
strawberry and banana juice. And I'm like, this is going to be great. So I go down onto my parents' cream-colored carpet. And I sit down and I'm going to watch some TV. I'm going to drink my new juice. And I take a couple sips and then I accidentally knock it over into the carpet. And I get a three-foot round puddle of really good strawberry uh, juice. And, you know, but, but in my mind, I thought it was going to be like Orange Julius strawberry, but it wasn't really as good as that. And, and as, as you're juicing things, you watch those guys juice things and you think you kind of create like, oh, this is what it's going to be like. And then you actually juice things. You experiment a little and you're like, oh, that doesn't taste good. Like experimenting with a juicer can be good, not good, but that was something I wanted. Uh, another thing that I wanted didn't turn out the way I wanted, was this phone. This is the iPhone 7, okay? Now, I am a huge fan of Apple. This is not a diss on Apple. I love Apple. However, um, when, the, when, I, when the iPhone 7 was about to come out, I thought, man, this is like the iPhone 7. Like, that's a biblical number. This is gonna be <laughs> the, the iPhone for me. And, and I get it, and it's, you know, it's a little faster, and, and that's great. But the big improvement of the iPhone 7 is that they have no headphone jack. Well, I am a worship pastor. And so one of the primary things I do with my phone is I listen to music and I I actually want it a little higher quality than probably the average person. And Bluetooth headphones is what they're pushing me towards. And instead of that, I get this, which is what they call a dongle. And you get to stick it in there. And whenever I want to plug in my headphones, I got to use that thing. And then, but the big improvement, I guess, is that instead of really terrible speakers built into this thing that has no low end at all, like pretty much half of the sound you don't hear, but they have slightly less terrible speakers. So that was what I got in my iPhone 7. I still love it. But it's just like, was it really what I wanted? I I don't know. The better question than what you really want is what do you ultimately value in life? That's a level deeper. Now, you and I will never get what we really want until we figure out what we ultimately value. And that seems like, okay, no problem. I'm just gonna get my spiral notebook. I'm gonna sit down and I'm just gonna write down. What do I ultimately value? But we find out that it's way more complicated than that. Because when somebody like me asks you, what do you really want? What comes to your mind may not be what you ultimately value. And so Paul talks about this in Romans. Let's read this together. Paul says, I do not understand what I do for for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So Paul's talking about this constant conflict that we have inside of us. We want this, but we end up doing something completely different. So to conquer that, to figure out what we really want, what we ultimately value, I wanted to do this illustration that I came across in college, okay? So a lot of people don't know. I was originally a business administration major. I got my degree in business administration finance. So I read a lot of business books in college, and one of them was this very book. This physical copy is my pre, you know, 19th century copy of... The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And back then, it had only sold only 10 million copies. And so now it's like over 30 million copies. It's a really good book. And there's a lot of really good books like this out there. And they're, they're great. I loved reading them. They're fast reads. You usually get like one or two nuggets out of it. 
and you're good to go. It's not like theology books where you read it and you're just like blown away or life's altered, but it's pretty good. You know, they're pretty good books. But this one was really transformational for me because of this experience that Stephen Covey invites the reader into. It's called the funeral experience. And so today I want you to do this with me. We're going to howl, do the funeral experience together. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're not comfortable closing your eyes, just look down because I don't want you to be distracted. And then imagine this with me. Let's all close our eyes. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car, and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. And as you take a seat and wait for the services to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are going to be four speakers. The first is from your family, and they've all come, immediate and extended, children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents. They've all come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession. And the fourth speaker is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband wife, father, or mother, would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? In your mind's eye, look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? And then he goes on to say, before you read further, take a few minutes to jot down your impressions. Okay, eyes open. So what I did in college is I actually did that. I actually wrote down the things that I wanted those people to say about me. What I, and found, and what he says later, that was on page 96, 97, and on 98, he says, if you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of success. And so this is what you ultimately value if you go through this process. And what I found, I'm not gonna tell you my list because you have your list and I have my list, but what I found was that what I ultimately valued had absolutely nothing to do with accomplishment and achievement. It was totally different than what I thought. And when I created my list, in college, I completely changed everything in my life. I totally changed what I was involved in. I had avoided all kinds of stuff up until that point. I hadn't done much ministry until that point in college. I hadn't probably been 
spending time with the people that I wanted to spend with. I changed everything in college because of that process. Thanks, Stephen Covey. And so, I realized one of the things that was a big change for me was what mattered, what really mattered to me. I wasn't dating anyone at the time. I didn't have kids at the time. But what, one of the things that mattered to me was what my kids said about me at the funeral. I knew I wanted kids and I knew what they were gonna say about me mattered. And I find that's really common with dads, especially that you care what your kids are gonna say about you. And so, you, some, you know, dads are willing to sacrifice for that. So I came across this video this week that I thought was really funny. It's basically dad sacrificing. Um, and it's called, uh, I, I call it, what happens if dad comes to ballet recital, okay? And that's this, that's this video. So let's watch this together. And first, I'm gonna tell you, there's a dad with black um, basketball shorts and he's pretty awesome. He kind of does like this layup thing, but let's go ahead and watch this together. So what do you see there? You see one dad kind of doing one of these, like a layup, I thought it was pretty funny. But the other part is you see dads making a fool of themselves for their daughters. You see that they are showing love to their daughters, okay? And so what do the daughters get out of this besides blackmail? They get, they get a chance to see their dad and this memory of their dad that's all over the internet now, but they get this memory of their dad that who did something for them that was totally for them. I mean, the dads just sacrificed his pride. I think as they get older, they're going to be more impressed by this video. And we realize that there, when we really ultimately value something in our life, we are willing to sacrifice for it. Now, have you had success in your life at anything? Have you successfully accomplished something like um, a sport? Have you gotten to the a pretty high level at a sport or music or it might be business, something that you've accomplished might be hunting or fishing. Well, what I've found, I really enjoy talking to people that have accomplished and gotten really far in a certain, at a certain level of something. So for instance, like Olympians or college athletes or really accomplished businessmen, they're really fun to talk to. And one, of the, one time I was talking to a friend who was a bodybuilder and he was ripped and we were standing there talking, and um, I haven't learned much from him. You can probably tell that. But he, 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 he of course, he's wanting to talk to me as the pastor, and he's, we're talking about faith and how, how to grow in your faith. And so uh, we're standing there, and I'm, I'm talking, and he tells, I'm like, so how did you get strong? Like, how did you get as strong as you are? And he told me about his whole process, like when he started and to where he was now and what he did. And I just asked him, so if you were going to apply that same thing to your faith, what would that look like? If you wanted to accomplish a certain level in your faith, because he had plateaued and he was frustrated, and, and I was like, what would that look like? And I, when I asked him that, it was like a light bulb went off. It was like, oh man, if I'm going to reorient my life around faith and God like I did with weightlifting, it's going to be a total life change. 
And it ultimately comes down to that question of what do you ultimately value? But I think a lot of us think about faith, like when we pray a prayer, we pray for God to come into our life, which is really important. And we pray that prayer, but then we think, and this is my little analogy, is like, then it's more like a superhero. Like I'm just going to slap on this Superman sticker onto my chest and I'm going to have the Holy Spirit and my whole life is going to change just with that alone. And we realize that we have these expectations of what it's going to be like when we start following Jesus. And when that doesn't happen, we have doubt, we hesitate, or worse, we just settle for a life with less God in it. And that's not the example Jesus sets for us. He calls us to live like him in his footsteps, to follow him. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about what Paul said in Galatians to to talk what does it look like to have more of the Spirit in our life. So we figure out what we ultimately value, ultimately value. And then we, we, once we've figured out what we ultimately value, we have to figure out what we have to do to go after that. So Paul talks about that in Galatians 5. Let's read this together. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is saying, and Bob talked about this last week, and is the freedom that the Holy Spirit brings. And Paul is saying, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't live like you're not free. And I don't know if you've visited any, uh, anyone in prison before. I have, I have visited prisons and friends in prison and Uh, I had this picture in my mind that Paul is saying, it's like you're in a prison and the door is open and you can leave and be out of that prison. But instead, you're choosing to stay in that prison and continue eating the prison food and continue asking the guard for permission to go to the bathroom. Are you living like you're free And what decisions are you making? And that's what Paul's talking about here. And what does he say? He says, use your freedom to serve one another humbly like Christ. And this just blew me away this week. I thought, use your freedom to serve. Like this is the number one thing Paul is talking about. So what what is he saying here? He's saying, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you love your neighbor? You love them by serving. Paul shows us that you love your neighbor by serving your neighbor humbly. So why do we serve our neighbor? Well, Jesus came and he showed us that the ultimate act of love is sacrificially serving. That's what he did on the cross. His death and resurrection was a sacrificial act of service. And so we see Paul saying the same thing. He's saying, Use your freedom to serve and love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus called us to be like him, to love like him, to be his disciple. And that's why we serve because that's the greatest example Jesus gives us. And that's why we at Journey invite everyone to serve. There there is no bar to pass to start serving because 
Serving is walking in the image of Christ. And so we decide we want to be disciples of Christ, follow in his footsteps. And one of the things is serving. My daughter, uh, Jane, who's seven, this week, she actually asked me, Dad, what is a disciple? And I thought, man, you've come to the right place. Okay, so uh, a disciple, honey, is a student. It's a learner. It's someone, the disciples of Jesus are people who follow Jesus and they do what Jesus did. That's what a disciple is. And so that's why we serve, is we're following the footsteps of Jesus. Um, and it's not just Paul that talks about this. Jesus says it himself in Matthew twenty twenty eight. He says, your attitude must be like my own. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. He's talking about sacrificial serving. And here's the other thing that I wanted you to see in here is that by sacrificially serving, I just referred to it, we are walking in the image of Christ. Like we know we were made in God's image, but when we serve, we are fulfilling that image. We are acting and walking that out like Christ. So we were created by God in his image to serve. The God of the universe serves and that's why we serve. And then Paul goes on in Galatians 5. He says more about what the spirit brings, the gift of the spirit. He says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires, the desires of the flesh. For if the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. So that's that conflict we were talking about. What you naturally desire is in conflict with what you ultimately desire. And the, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. It's a huge negative list here. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. These are the things of the flesh. Factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, he's like, I said this again, but I'm just going to say it again, that those who live like this, Galatian church and the whole church, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he has a big but. And so whenever he says but, you really want to pay attention. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And I think that's like a little bit of a joke with Paul. He's like, against there, there's no law against all those good things, guys. Now we see in this passage a list of a whole lot of bad things and then a list of good things. And for every good thing, there are multiple examples in that list of bad things. And what Paul is saying is that He's, he's, he's showing us the conflict between what we want in our life and what we ultimately desire. And he, that's why he says, I do not do what I want, but what I hate, I do. Now, I like this illustration. He's, um, go with me here. If God had his way in your life, if, if he took away, if he took away your ability to make decisions for yourself. So if he took away 
your free will. He's not going to do that because he loves you too much. But if God took away your free will and he made all your decisions for you, what would happen? What would we see? What would you have in your life if he took away those decisions? He would give you love, joy, and peace. And you're like, man, that sounds terrible, Brandon. I don't want that. I want a Ford F-150 and uh, I don't want love, joy, and peace. I want her. I don't want love, joy, and peace. I want him. I don't want that. But think about it. If you had love, joy, and peace, just those things, that would take care of most of our problems. Love, the ability, it would fix all our relationships. If we loved people with the Spirit's love, the ability to forgive even though someone hasn't done anything to forgive. The joy, the ability to get through difficult circumstances and still have joy and still see the end game in mind. When you get, come across people with joy, you think they must be on something. Somebody with joy, you, you think they're probably in denial because come on, reality. It's not that joyful. You're thinking if you see people like that, like, are you kidding? Your life is falling apart. Your job's down the drains. Your kids are not doing well and you have joy. Or maybe you go to a third world country and you've seen people who have accepted Christ and they have joy and that's about all they have. And you think, how can you have this? Love and joy and then peace. Now, some people, some of us, we need a prescription for peace. Because it's so hard to get. You cannot naturally get peace. You need the Holy Spirit in order to get that kind of peace. That's what Paul is saying. So once we figure out what we really want, then we have to figure out, okay, how do I actually get those things? And so that's where James comes in. Let's read this together. The brother of Jesus, James, talks about how to get what you really want. So let's read this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle that battle within you? So he's talking about that conflict that we were talking about earlier. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So in this, James is saying, two main things. The first one is, you don't have because you don't ask. So another way to say that is, you need to ask for what you want, for what you really want. James is saying, ask for what you really want. And then James says a second thing. He says, when you do ask, you're asking for the wrong things. They're not the most important things. Pleasures are good. They're gifts from God, but they're not the most important things. And so you need to ask for what's most important. And what, Paul, what James is starting to get at is he's asking, do you have the long term in mind? And we've all bought things that we, we regret buying. This Christmas, we bought a couple car tracks for our boys and they either didn't work or they broke or a mixture of both and it was a complete waste of money. I have total regret for what we bought them this year. But what Paul and James are talking about is it's about the future. It's the long term in mind. And so I, have, I love this illustration. I saw this illustration from a long time ago. Maybe you've seen it. Francis Chan did this illustration. So imagine that this rope 
is a timeline. It's your timeline. Okay, and you can see that this rope goes out the door. And just imagine that it keeps on going forever. This is your timeline. You will be living forever. But what do most of us focus on? This little red part, which, is, which represents your time on earth. And so a lot of us, we spend all of this time figuring out, okay, I'm going to save, 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 and I'm going to work really hard so that during this time, I'm going to really enjoy it. I'm going to relax. I'm going to go on lots of vacations. Like, like I'm going to do all of this so that like, I can have that. But we know that at any moment, the very next day, that could be over. And so I discovered this. This was part of that discovery in college is I realized, do I want to spend all of this just to have this? I'm not saying retirement is bad, but I, I, this was a realization for me because I saw this for the first time. And I realized that what I do during this determines a lot of how this is going to go. What I really love about this illustration is that this is the example of the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like a rope that goes on forever. Are you going to live for just this? Just for this little, little part? Or are you going to live for this? And I had a friend in college named Eric and he, he came up to me one day and we were talking about life and he was like, man, and I know he was trying to care for me when he said this. Okay, he wasn't trying to be mean. But he was like, Brandon, I think you're missing out. And I, and I thought in my mind, no, I'm not missing out. Are you crazy? Because I'm living for this. I'm not going to live for this only. It was this realization that I had in college and I started changing everything about my life because of that. So I ask again, what do you ultimately value? Do you want what God has to offer? And what's amazing is that you can start living this life right now. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, the kingdom is now and not yet. The kingdom of God is on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he asks us to pray that way. And so how do we start living this spirit-filled life right now? How do we live that life? What does it mean for us to start moving towards it? Or a better question is, how do I just, how do I get that? How do I get what I really want? Okay, I, I get it. I ultimately value that. How do I do this? Well, Jesus answers that question. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible is the disciples, Jesus just got finished praying and the disciples go to Jesus and they're kind of whiny. This is one where the disciples are a little whiny to Jesus. They saw him pray and they go up to him and they're like, Jesus, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Will you, will you teach us how to pray? And he's kinda, they're kind of whiny. And, and so Jesus is like, I, I can just imagine him. Yes, I will teach you how to pray. You don't have to try and guilt me because John the Baptist, you know, he's my cousin, I get it. So, so he teaches them how to pray. He says, he starts by saying, our father who art in heaven, right? So he starts with our father and he teaches them the Lord's prayer. And then he talks about prayer. He follows that up with this. So let's read this together. 
Luke 11, 9 through 13. And so I tell you, keep on asking. This is the ask, seek, and knock scripture. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And he does a little, a little more illustration. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So you sinful people, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And when I read that this week, I was like, the Holy Spirit? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit in this scripture. I have read this scripture hundreds of times. This is, you know, how many times have you prayed the Lord's Prayer? And I never saw that. I never realized it was the Holy Spirit. I just kind of glossed over that one. Jesus is telling us how to have more of the Spirit in our lives. We ask and we keep on asking. I love that translation. We keep on asking. We seek. We keep on seeking daily. We knock. We keep on knocking and inviting God. So Jesus reinforces these three things. First, you talk to the Father. When you pray, talk to the Father. You're his adopted son and daughter. The second thing he says is the Holy Spirit is available to each of us. Back then, in that time, most Jewish people, including the disciples, believed the Spirit, if available, only rested on the holiest people. But we see that Jesus promised the Spirit to everyone. So we have to ask, we have to invite, seek, and knock. And then the third one is daily pray for the Spirit in our lives. Jesus says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to ask daily for that prayer. Let the kingdom come in my life. Let your spirit come in my life. Fill my life with your love, your joy, your peace, your patience. We pray that daily. That's a part of what we do. And that's what Jesus himself is teaching his disciples to pray. So these are practical steps. We pray for what we ultimately value. And we ask God to give us that. So are you making those things a priority in your life? The things of God, are you making, being a disciple a priority in your life? Are you serving? Are you in some kind of community group like missional community or some other group? Are, uh, Bob last week talked about life transformation groups, which you can do. They're really easy. There's, it's basically a self-led group. It's like we have a little two-page handout at the info station or you can get it in our missional leader, leader tools on our website or on our app. And basically, you meet with one other person or two other people one hour a week and you pray for God's spirit to come into your life. You pray for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You pray for these things. You pray for the spirit to move in your life. And you confess when you fall short with those people and you pray for each other. And you, and you figure out, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna love my neighbor? How am I gonna serve my neighbor? Those are the things that we do in life transformation groups. And I've been doing this for a few months and it's been amazing. I use the Bible reading plan. That's what I read. We, we go through the Bible together and we just talk about the things that come up. It's been the best reading plan I've ever done. 
and a transformational. And then knock. Are you in real relationship with other believers like I just described? Are you doing things in your life? Are you reorienting your life so that you have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit in your life, to raise the water level in your life? I pray that you do. Now, right now, we're gonna take a moment. Uh, You can set your things aside to pray. And we're gonna do it a little differently this time um, because I really want us to pray together. So uh, if you have never accepted the Lord and you want to, and you want to invite God into your life today for the first time, you're going to pray with me. And if you already have invited God into your life, and I want you also to pray with me. We're going to pray out loud, and it's going to be kind of like wedding vows. Like, I'm going to say a little bit, and then you say a little bit, okay? So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving me personally by becoming a person so that I could know you and have a real relationship with you. Thank you for breaking down all the barriers that keep me from knowing and experiencing you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place, for the penalty for my sin, my guilt and shame. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my King and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me eternal life. I want to turn from my sin today and turn to you. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. God, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for your death and resurrection on the cross. And we thank you that we know that your son came down and promised us that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek and keep on seeking, we will find. And if we knock, the door will be open to us. We are moved by your spirit and by your presence and by your love. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.